Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Paper Review, where I review the papers and big headlines over the week and place events and headlines in their true context in a weekly podcast. And I'm going to start this week with a story here about medication of the young. This is in the Daily Mail. More than 70,000 children are being prescribed antidepressants despite concerns that the pills may damage their developing brains. Tens of thousands of children are being prescribed potentially brain-harming antidepressants, it was reported last night. More than 70,000 people under the age of 18 and nearly 2,000 children in primary school ages in England were treated medically for depression last year, according to NHS data obtained by the Times. However, experts believe that antidepressants provide little benefit to children and that doctors are medicalizing adolescents. Up to 3% of children are thought to be depressed. However, talking therapies are often recommended as the first choice of treatment, according to scientists. Well, they should be, because talking therapy is actually a much more effective way of getting to the cause of the problem. The article goes on. The Freedom of Information request also discovered that one in six adults used the pills in the same year, a rise of nearly half a million since 2015. The data reportedly shows that 7.3 million people in England were prescribed at least one antidepressant last year. Out of those, a fifth of people were taking the pills in towns such as Great Yarmouth and Blackpool, but the figure was less than 1 in 10 in London. Meanwhile, people over the age of 60 were twice as likely to be on antidepressants than those in their 20s. The data was obtained from the NHS Business Services Authority. The agency processes prescription payments on the amount of individual patients prescribed with drugs. Andre Cipriani, a psychiatrist at Oxford University, said, People are prescribing antidepressants to people who don't really need them, who have low mood. It's important people are aware that antidepressants aren't a quick fix. Two years ago, Dr. Cipriani carried out an interview with 34 trials which discovered that apart from antidepressant Prozac and untreated both adults and children any better than a placebo. Antidepressant prescriptions have doubled in a decade. Britain has the fourth highest use of the drugs among Western countries and they cost the NHS £235 million a year. According to scientists, the increase was due to people being more willing to seek help. It comes after a study published in April this year found that women who take antidepressants during pregnancy may be more likely to have children who suffer from anxiety. Approximately 3% of British women suffer from prenatal depression and take antidepressant pills while pregnant. Now a study has found babies born to these women who have brains different from those of other children which may make them more susceptible to anxiety disorders in later life. Well, I've talked before about epigenetics and how genetic traits and how even states of reaction and perception can be passed on to the next generation because it changes the genetics and impacts on the genetics. The article goes on. This could be because serotonin, the so-called happy hormone, affects the development of the child's brain in the womb. Antidepressants called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are believed to increase levels of the hormone. Well, it could be because of that, but also in other cases it's because of epigenetics. Dr. Cipriani said that nowadays the risk is medicalizing adolescents by using drugs to treat depression in young people. We should be careful of prescribing antidepressants to the developing brain. We don't know the long-term consequences, says Dr. Cipriani. Well, in the public arena, the consequences may not be known, but in the shadows, ultimately, they are known. And that's why these things happen. In South Lincolnshire, 1.66 children in 1,000 under 11 were prescribed antidepressants, which is six times the national average. Dr. Cipriani added it's difficult to justify. There must be something wrong. It goes on. Tom Maddox of the charity Young Mind said long waiting times and high thresholds for treatment mean that GPs may feel under pressure to prescribe antidepressants to children. There can be a place for medication, but it shouldn't be used as a sticking plaster for poor access to talking therapies. Amulia Nedkarni, a consultant psychiatrist at the Lincolnshire Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, said, The welfare of patients is always the most important factor. We follow NICE guidelines. NICE is the guidelines from the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. 
article goes on. Helen Stokes Lampard, chairwoman of the Royal College of GPS, said of the overall numbers, it's important that these figures aren't automatically seen as a bad thing, as more people had sought help. However, she added that there was a severe lack of other options available to family doctors because the medical cartel and the pharmaceutical cartel is just a means of introducing the elite's agenda and having the effect on brain and body and mind that the elite want for the population. So what you do is you just make the forms of treatment that are at best ineffective or virtually ineffective and at worst those forms of treatment which will give you the desire you want if you're behind this agenda. This is classic mainstream medicine. Treat the symptoms, not the causes. Find a solution rather than removing the cause, when the most effective way of doing it is instead of prescribing medication, find the cause of the depression in the first place. Far more effective, because without the cause present, the problem cannot be present any longer. The article says that these antidepressant drugs are potentially brain-harming, which is perfect for the elite's agenda. I've gone into pharmaceutical medicine in episode 17. The young are the biggest target of the elite's agenda because they're going to be the adults of tomorrow when the agenda is planned to be in full swing. One of the effects of this medicalizing of adolescence, as this article talks about, can be seen in universities and colleges, not least in America, but here in Britain as well. I'm talking, of course, about the political correctness, generation snowflake mentality, which has infested colleges and universities. I've talked in episode 3 about how this medicating of what used to be called being young is one of the causes, among others, of the Generation Snowflake mentality and medicating of young people having problems maybe with coursework or whatever else. They'll be prescribed medication to deal with the problem which will then contribute to creating the snowflake mentality. Once you know the overall agenda, you can see how agendas within the overall agenda actually connect into each other and you can then see the bigger picture which is what pay-per-view is all about so in this case you've got medicating young people because of an emotional cause so if you find the emotional cause and deal with that you then remove the cause of the problem but pharmaceutical medicine plays into the depopulation agenda and it also nowadays plays into creating the generation snowflake mentality and you've also got the effect of being bored at school and additives and toxins and chemicals in food and drink, especially those aimed at kids, but not only, affecting the behavior of kids and then those kids' parents taking them to a child psychologist and the kids being prescribed drugs like Ritalin, among others, which can actually make them far worse and they can then end up in a vicious cycle of more medications to treat the problems caused by the previous medication. This is pharmaceutical medicine for you. This is healing in the 21st century. This is how advanced we are in the 21st century with healing. On the cutting edge of medicine. So you've got all these agendas connecting into each other. This is how the elite's agenda works because it's about changing every area of society and every area of our lives and thus there are going to be connections between agendas. One of the reasons I really like the idea of pay-per-view is so people can see these apparently separate and disparate subject areas of manipulation are actually all connected into one overall agenda. Article here about genetic engineering, genetically edited embryos. This is in the Telegraph. Designer Babies on Horizon is Ethics Council gives green light to genetically edited embryos. Designer Babies are on the horizon after an influential group of scientists concluded that it could be morally permissible 
to genetically engineer human embryos. In a new report which opens the door to a change in the law, the Nuffield Council on Bioethics said that DNA editing could become an option for parents wanting to influence the genetic characteristics of their child. Although it would be largely used to cure devastating genetic illnesses or predispositions to cancers and dementia, the experts said they were not ruling out cosmetic uses such as making tweaks to increase height or changing eye or hair colour if it would make a child more successful. In the past, the council has given the green light to controversial procedures such as three-parent babies in which the DNA of a second mother is used to replace faulty code in its cells' batteries. Following a widespread consultation and vote in Parliament, the law was changed to allow the procedure and the first babies with the DNA of three people are expected to be born later this year or early in 2019. Currently, scientists are only allowed to genetically edit human embryos for 14 days for research purposes after which they must be destroyed and it is illegal to implant them into a womb. But the Nuffield Council said it could become illegal if safeguards were met. Professor Karen Young, chair of the Working Party on Genome Editing and Human Reproduction, said there is potential for heritable genome editing interventions to be used at some point in the future in assisted human reproduction as a means for people to secure certain characteristics in their children. Initially, this might involve preventing the inheritance of a specific genetic disorder. However, if the technology develops, it has potential to become an alternative strategy available to parents for achieving a wider range of goals. Whilst there is still uncertainty over the sorts of things genome editing might be able to achieve or how widely its use might spread, we have concluded that the potential use of genome editing to influence the characteristics of further generations is not unacceptable in itself. Asked whether genetic editing could be used to make children tall with blonde hair and blue eyes, if that was found to increase their chance of success in life, Professor Young added, we're not ruling that out. The article goes on. The Nuffield Council said that all genetic editing of embryos should be strictly regulated by the Human Fertility and Embryology Authority and only licensed on a case-by-case -case basis with individuals monitored for long-term side effects. They also called for further research into genetic editing techniques such as CRISPR, which acts like molecular scissors to snip away bad DNA and replace it with healthy code. The first trials to cure adults of devastating diseases like HIV, cancer and sickle cell disease are due to get going in Europe and the US this year. But Dr. David King, Director of Human Genetics Alert, said it would lead to a two-tier system where people who could not afford genetic editing would be disadvantaged. This is an absolute disgrace, he said. We have had international bans on eugenic genetic engineering for 30 years. The people of Britain decided 15 years ago that they don't want GM food. Do you suppose they want GM babies? This is neoliberal bioethics that puts individual whims ahead of society needs for basic human equality and commonality. Although I don't usually use the term Frankenstein science, there is another out-of-control monster here. The scientist-dominated bioethics approval machinery that never says a clear no to anything, that insists that if we can do it, we must. The article goes on. A separate study released last night by the Wellcome Sanger Institute also warned that CRISPR is far more dangerous than previously thought. New research published in Nature Biotechnology found the technique caused extensive mutations in the DNA away from the intended site. Scientists warn that it may lead to important genes being switched on or off, which may cause devastating conditions. Professor Alan Bradley, corresponding author on the study from the Wellcome Sanger Institute, said, We found that changes in the DNA have been seriously underestimated before now. It's important that anyone thinking of using this technology for gene therapy proceeds with caution and looks very carefully to check for possible harmful effects. Well, ultimately, the goal is that there is harmful effects to 
DNA. I talk about DNA in episode 24 and why it's a target for the elite and how it plays into their agenda. So they want harmful effects to the DNA. You see, once you understand that society is agenda-driven, not people-driven, then everything makes sense. The article goes on. Commenting on the findings, Dr. Francesca Forzano, consultant in clinical genetics and genomics, Guys and St. Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust, said, This important work demonstrates that this technique is much less safe than previously thought. This work represents a milestone in the gene editing field and signposts that more caution shall be exerted in the application of this technique. However, Professor Robin Lovell Badge, FMED, SI, FRS Group Leader at the Francis Crick Institute said, the results gave no reason to panic or to lose faith in the methods when they are carried out by those who know what they are doing. There's another section here about how CRISPR gene editing works. CRISPR hyphen CAS9, abbreviated from clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats, is a hybrid of protein ribonucleic acid RNA. RNA basically writes the program for DNA. RNA decides what DNA is. It goes on. RNA, which works as an efficient hunt and cut system in bacteria. Molecular biologists Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier realized that it could work well in other cells, including those of humans, to carry out genome editing. 1. An RNA molecule marks a precise point in the genome thread, then guides in the CAS9 enzyme, which acts as a pair of scissors to cut both strands of DNA. 2. A new DNA segment can then be introduced to a pair of faulty gene, or a new gene altogether can be inserted. 3. The cut strands of DNA then repair themselves, incorporating the new genetic information. If nothing is inserted, the repair process can silence or turn off a faulty gene. Well, all of this is a stepping stone to the synthetic human I've talked about before on pay-per-view, if you can call it human. The goal is to create a synthetic form with its mind connected technologically to a technological wireless hive mind, a technological sub-reality controlled by artificial intelligence, so artificial intelligence replaces the human mind. Fluid gender plays into this. This is why we're seeing constant focus and propaganda about fluid gender. Political correctness is there to stop criticism of transgender and fluid gender and labeling it hate speech because they don't want the truth coming out about fluid gender because it's fundamentally part of achieving this agenda. If you're a gender that doesn't procreate, doesn't produce life in a biological way, then you're going to be far more open to becoming synthetic and technological than a gender that does produce life in the biological way. It's not just a synthetic human form that is planned either, but a synthetic world. People like Ray Kurzweil, Google executive and co-founder of the Singularity University in Silicon Valley, California, obviously a tech university, have said that the natural environment will become intelligent, in his words, and this will be achieved by the infusion of nanotechnology and the main delivery system for nanotechnology is chemtrails. How are you going to make the environment and the natural world intelligent all over the world unless you drop the nanotechnology from the sky? This is where chemtrails come in, which look like condensation trails, exhaust trails from aircraft, but which stick around in the sky, expand and eventually become this white sheen across the sky, which can be mistaken for clouds, but when you compare natural cloud to chemtrails, there's no comparison. Nanotechnology is not really coming from chemtrails, it's also in food, food packaging, deodorants, textiles, clothing and from various other sources. This is by design. Nanotechnology is synthetic and it's all connected to this synthetic human, synthetic world agenda. I came across a quote in 2010 and the first time I came across it I thought it was very symbolic of the world planned. But then after finding out about the transhuman agenda around late 2015, early 2016, I found it to be even more symbolic. This is the quote, this is from Orwell's 1984. Never again will you be capable of ordinary human feeling 
everything will be dead inside you. Never again will you be capable of love or friendship or joy of living or laughter or curiosity or courage or integrity. You will be hollow. We shall squeeze you empty and then we shall fill you with ourselves. And the ourselves in the quote, if I apply the quote to the transhuman agenda because it fits very closely, is artificial intelligence. In terms of quotes, I've mentioned a guy called Dr. Richard Day before. See episode 17 for more on who he is. And he's talked about and he talked about synthetic humans and biosecreated babies when he said in 1969, he said sex and reproduction would be separated. You would have sex without reproduction and then technology was reproduction without sex. This will be done in the laboratory. He indicated that already much, much research was underway about making babies in the laboratory. He says also about families to diminish in importance. He said families will be limited in size. We already alluded to not being allowed more than two children. Divorce will be made easier and more prevalent. Most people who marry will marry more than once. More people will not marry. More women will work outside the home. That's interesting, that point, because what we're seeing with feminism, which the Rockefeller family were massively behind, one of the reasons they were behind it was to get more women into the workplace so they can tax women like men, but also so that contributes to breaking up the family because that's one of the goals for the elite they want to break up anything that can bring people together it goes on more men will be transferred to other cities and in their jobs more men will travel therefore it would be harder for families to stay together this would tend to make the marriage relationship less stable and therefore tend to make people less willing to have babies and the extended families will be smaller and more remote he also said homosexuality was also to be encouraged they won't have to hide it. He also said, sex education was to get kids interested early, making the connection between sex and the need for contraception early in their lives, even before they became very active. The idea then is that the connection between sex and contraception introduced and reinforced in school would carry over into marriage. Indeed, if young people, when they mature, decided to get married, marriage itself would be diminished in importance. He indicated some recognition that most people probably would want to be married, but that this certainly would not be any longer considered necessary for sexual activity. In other words, people would have sex more often before marriage. Anyone think this is describing the world we're living in? 1969, these words were spoken by Dr. Richard Day. Because, as I keep saying, society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. Permission to have babies. This is an interesting one because Dr. Richard Day was involved in Planned Parenthood, which is a eugenics operation, which the Rockefellers are massively involved with, and... He was an executive of Planned Parenthood. So he was very focused on population control. And he said this about permission to have babies. People won't be allowed to have babies just because they want to or because they are careless. Most families will be limited to two. Some people will be allowed only one. He said also about population control. He works in population control, as I just said. And population control was really the entry point into the specifics which followed his introduction. He said the population was growing too fast. Numbers of people living at any one time on the planet must be limited or we will run out of space to live. We will outgrow our food supply and we will overpollute the world with our waste. Well, that's the excuse behind this whole thing of we need to reduce the population. The reason they want to reduce the population is because they want to cram people into smart cities away from rural land and away from the countryside. They want to cram people into smart cities. And, of course, if you're going to do that, if you're going to keep people away from vast tracts of land, I mean, look at the size of North America. Over 320 million people, last figure I saw, 
or heard. That's a lot of people to cram into cities and keep away from vast tracts of land. So what you have to do is cull a massive amount of the population and they want to do this globally. That's the real reason for population control. They want to herd people into mega cities, mega regions, in what now we call cities. Countries are designed to be broken up into mega cities and mega regions to make them easier to control. And each region will specialize in a certain area. So the job you do, the job you're told to do, in the Hunger Games society, which this story fundamentally plays into for this reason, where you live, which mega region, which mega city you live in will decide what job you do and the mega corporation you work for because there will only be mega corporations as I've talked about before and if you don't want to do that then you get no money and you get no access to anything else so no money, no food, no access to water, no heating, no electricity that's the world we're going into and if anyone doubts that that's happening Listen to episode 4, 1 hour and 43 minutes of news articles from that week, just that one week of stories that indicate that we are moving into the Hunger Games Society in the 1984 world. Finally, Dr. Richard Day said this about contraception. And the first consideration then here was contraception. Contraception would be very strongly encouraged and it would be connected so closely in people's minds with sex that they would automatically think contraception when they were thinking or preparing for sex and contraception would be made universally available. Nobody wanting contraception would find that unavailable contraceptives would be displayed much more prominently in drugstores, out in the open rather than hidden under the counter where people would have to ask for them and maybe be embarrassed. This kind of openness was a way of suggesting that contraceptives were just as much a part of life as any other item sold in the store, and contraceptives would be advertised and dispensed. So this is where we're going. When you put it all together, what we're looking at, the stepping stones towards the end goal, which is creating a synthetic form without gender. They want a non-human, non-gender synthetic form, technological synthetic form. And this, of course, plays into the transhumanism agenda. And stories like this, although they may appear to be just about genetically editing embryos and, oh, you can change the genetics of a child, you can make them have this colour of hair or you can give them this ability or you can stop them getting this disability or you can do this. That's the selling point, that's the way that they're selling it. But what it's about is another step towards the synthetic non-human form. You really have to understand the world is very different to what we are there to believe it is, otherwise this agenda will happen. Carrying on with the same theme now, article here about transgender. This is in Daily Mail. Autistic children given sex change drugs by the NHS. Up to 150 youngsters treated with puberty blocking jabs might not even be transgender. Autistic teenagers are being given powerful drugs which pave the way for a sex change despite experts fears that they might not be transgender at all. Up to 150 youngsters have been given puberty blocker drugs which stop the body maturing after being seen at Britain's only NHS transgender clinic for children. These drugs, which can permanently weaken bones, are often the first step to changing sex. The figure is based on an official report which found that a third of those referred to the Tavistock Clinic in London have strong signs of autism. By comparison, just 1 in 100 of the general population is thought to be autistic. 
Experts last night warned that autistic youngsters could end up having irreversible sex change treatment after latching on to the mistaken belief they were born the wrong sex and that new guidelines meant doctors are often too afraid to challenge them. Well, where have they got the mistaken belief from? In many cases, it will be from propaganda in school and all over the place now. This is what I've said before about political correctness. It's there to stop exposure and challenge of elite agendas, and this is a classic example. Doctors are too afraid of offending these kids to challenge them, and or they've been told not to challenge them, so they don't when they should, because of the very sinister agenda behind transgender, which I talk about in episode eight. The article goes on. Tory MP David Davis said the NHS needs to fully investigate this. It would be an absolute scandal if 20 years from now we discovered a load of people who were not transgender at all being stuck into a medical pathway because NHS personnel were told not to challenge young people who said they were transgender. The article goes on. The proportion of youngsters with autistic traits seen at the Tavistock was revealed in a new practice review written by leading clinicians at its Gender Identity Development Service. It states, a range of psychometric measures are used to assess behavioural and emotional functioning, including features of autistic spectrum disorder and self-harm. Around 35% of referred young people present with moderate to severe autistic traits. Co-author Bernadette Wren, a consultant clinical psychologist, said the figure was based on 1,069 children and teenagers referred to the clinic between 2011 and last year. Of those, 372, 35%, were assessed as having autistic traits. Overall, 4 in 10 of the Tavistock's patients go on to receive puberty blockers. If the proportion of potentially autistic patients going on to blockers is the same, around 150 will have done so. Dr. Wren said they had not yet analysed the figures to confirm that was the case. Puberty blockers prepare the ground for a sex change by making surgery physically easier. They are administered to the Tavistock's young patients at University College Hospital. Upon turning 16, most of those on blockers are given powerful cross-sex hormones which alter their appearance. Testosterone helps those born female put on muscle and gives them body hair, while estrogen promotes the growth of breast tissue in those born male. Autism expert Dr. Sally Powers said that autistic teenagers searching for a reason why they did not fit in could fixate on the idea that they were born into the wrong body. If you know you've been different since you were a small child, there's a possibility you consider it's your gender that's the issue rather than autism, she said. Psychotherapist James Caspian claimed that many clinicians felt unable to question gender beliefs due in part to a recent memorandum of understanding banning conversion therapy by the UK Council for Psychotherapy. I've been contacted by psychotherapists who work with adolescents on the autistic spectrum who have expressed concern over the current climate, he added. Psychotherapist Bob Withers, who has treated a number of transgender patients, said, I think the Tavistock is under pressure because the trans lobby has become so dominant and powerful. Well, it has, not least because people are too frightened to question transgender or say their own thing about transgender because of political correctness, because of the backlash in the transgender lobby, which is a tyranny. And on that point, there's an article here from RT. Liberal actor faces ire for nice tweet about conservative pundit. Liberal actor Mark Duplass has been forced to apologise for a tweet praising conservative commentator Ben Shapiro as a nice person whose intentions are good. The Mindy Project star directed his tweet to fellow liberals and advised them to follow Shapiro if they were interested in crossing the aisle and hearing opinions from those who disagree with them politically. Well, the transgender lobby is the opposite of that. I don't know anything about conservative commentator Ben Shapiro but this actor has a right to his opinion he says I don't agree with him on much but he's a genuine person who once helped me for no other reason than to be nice he doesn't bend the truth his intentions are good this since deleted tweet read 
but it turned out not many of Duplessis' fans were interested in hearing new opinions. As soon as the actor hit send on this seemingly innocent musing, the backlash began with liberals tweeting him to express their disgust at his apparent endorsement of Shapiro, who they said was transphobic and someone who mocked the LGBT community. Well, does he mock them or does he just make legitimate points about LGBT and fluid gender and ask valid questions? I don't know which one it is. Questioning is many times claimed to be discrimination. And as far as backlash from liberals, they call themselves liberals. But, but when you look at a definition of liberal, it's willing to respect or accept behavior or opinions different from one's own, open to new ideas, which is the opposite of what the transgender lobby and the Twitter stormers are. And according to the Merriam-Webster website, it says, Liberal shares a root with liberty and can mean anything from generous to loose to broad-minded. Politically, it means a person who believes that government should be active in supporting social and political change. Well, depends what the change is. The first part is, again, the opposite of what the transgender lobby and Twitter storms are. Liberal can be traced back to the Latin word liber, meaning free, which is also the root of liberty, the quality or state of being free. What you've got is activists who claim to be liberal while acting in the exact opposite way to stop people having a right to express their opinion if they disagree with it. And you've got groups like Antifa, anti-fascist, who act fascistically to attack groups of people supporting someone they don't like or to protest violently outside of meetings and presentations, presentations of people saying things they don't like while claiming to be for freedom. The article goes on. Duplass caved to the pressure immediately, issuing a statement of apology, calling his original tweet a disaster on many levels and saying that he should be more diligent and careful on social media. Here we go. This is the concern with reputation rather than concern with your right to say what you think. And if we continue doing that, if we continue apologising, those of us that do anyway, I don't, but those that do, then we are going to be in a situation where nobody will have any chance to say what they really think and we're not too far away now i want to be clear that i in no way endorse hatred racism homophobia xenophobia or any such form of intolerance my goal has always been to spread unity understanding and kindness wrote duplass as part of his apology on twitter after the twitter stormers were out in force and attacked him and made him bow to them as usually happens but not with everybody his full tweet reads so that tweet was a disaster on many levels wasn't at all, there's nothing wrong with it. I want to be clear that I in no way endorse hatred, racism, homophobia, xenophobia or any such form of intolerance. My goal has always been to spread unity, understanding and kindness. But I am going to make mistakes along the way. Sometimes I move too quickly when I get excited or fail to do enough research or I don't communicate myself clearly. In other words, the mental gymnastics that people go through before they speak to make sure they've got their wording right, he doesn't always do and neither should he. What's being destroyed is free, spontaneous comment and conversation and discussion and debate. And without that, there is no freedom of speech. Or without freedom of speech, there can be no other freedom. Apology goes on. I'm really sorry. I now understand that I need to be more diligent and careful. Why? What did you say that was wrong? I'm working on that, he says. And he goes on to say, but I do believe in bipartisan understanding and I will continue to do my best to promote peace and decency in this world right now. That said, I hear you, and I want to say thank you to those who reached out with constructive criticism. It wasn't constructive criticism, much of it. It was 
backlash from the transgender Twitter storm tyranny bow to us or face the consequences of your reputation being harmed, at least in the eyes of those who just believe what they're told about someone they didn't think for themselves. And he goes on to say, finally, I have genuinely learned so much and wish everyone all the best. The actor ended the grovelling apology by saying that he still believed in bipartisan understanding and promising to work to promote peace and decency in the world. This is what I've said before about political correctness. It's there to stop exposure and challenge of elite agendas, and this is a classic example. Doctors are too afraid of offending these kids to challenge them, and or they've been told not to challenge them, so they don't when they should, because of the very sinister agenda behind transgender, which I talk about in episode 8. We're going to see more examples of transgender being introduced into society and people. This has nothing to do with autistic kids. It's about exploiting autistic kids to further this transgender agenda. This is all part of the depopulation agenda on one level, but it's also a means to increase the number of transgender kids and adults of the future because of the agenda behind transgender and fluid gender. If you want to massively call the human population, then puberty blocking drugs, in other words, limiting the number of children born in the future, is obviously a very effective way of achieving that. There's a BBC Kids TV show called Just a Girl about a teenage girl given hormone blocking drugs. I've talked before about preemptive programming or predictive programming and how if you place enough imagery through TV and film, the subconscious mind will download it and then eventually it will filter through to the conscious mind and it will seem more familiar. This is why we're seeing so many depictions of this dystopian, technologically dominated world through films and TV now because they're presenting that to the conscious mind in the people are watching it, but in truth into the subconscious mind so that it will eventually come through to the conscious mind as someone being less resistant to and feeling more familiar with the idea of this Hunger Games society and this technological world and the transgender and fluid gender and all the other elements of the agenda than they would be without all the imagery. We're going to see more examples of transgender being introduced into society and people getting away with things that other people would get in trouble for because the person or people who did it were transgender. Because people are too afraid to take action because they don't want to be accused of being transphobic. This is exactly the same as legitimate criticism of Israel and the plight of the Palestinians at the hands of the Israeli army in Gaza and the West Bank being labelled as anti-Semitic when it's just legitimate questioning, challenging of Israel. Transgender is fundamentally important to the elite's agenda, not only because of the depopulation agenda, but because of the transhuman agenda and the connection between the two, which I talk about in episode 8 and 11. So we need to stand up and speak out about transgender, not the people who choose to be transgender. Got nothing against them, although the choice to be transgender is in many cases made in the face of propaganda, not least with kids and young people but they've made a choice, fair enough. What I'm challenging is the propaganda and agenda behind transgender and fluid gender. I need to forget about concern over offending people. It's a choice to be offended in any way. That's what political correctness is there for, to stop exposure of elite agendas like transgender and fluid gender, and we need to stand up and speak out about it while we still can. Article here about Brexit and food regulations. This is in the Daily Mail. Food safety controls could be suspended after a no-deal Brexit. Perishable goods could be waived through UK borders, report warns. Food safety controls could be suspended to prevent perishable goods being delayed at UK borders if no Brexit deal is made, according to a report. Academics warn the UK could adopt a cavalier approach to safety standards, resulting in EU countries blocking exports from the UK. It is claimed a government advisor told them of the plans being developed if delays emerge. But the government denied this was true. 
saying it will not suspend food safety controls regardless of a no-deal scenario. The warnings are contained in the Food Research Collaboration Briefing, Feeding Britain Food Security After Brexit. In the section entitled Preparing for a No-Deal Food Brexit, the report says it believes the UK will need to maintain open and unhindered borders with the EU for food. It adds, the Prime Minister told the Cabinet in July to prepare for no deal. She is right, but it is already happening in DEFRA, which is the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, in some worrying directions. In recent months, we have learned from a senior government advisor that plans are being prepared to suspend food controls if there are any delays to imports of perishable foods at our borders. We learned too that other policy commentators have been told the same by senior DEFRA personnel. One government advisor even informed us that the plans were being devised to avoid parliamentary scrutiny. Senior industry people have told us in no uncertain terms that this would be folly and must be avoided, not least because it would threaten exports from the UK to the EU. If the UK were to suspend food safety controls, others might block exports from a country taking such a cavalier approach to public health. It would go completely against all the protestations of commitment to high consumer and health standards. Yet this appears to be what DEFRA envisages. The report adds there have already been several hints from ministers to endorse such a proposal. It went on. If border checks rose to four minutes, there would be 20 mile or so, possibly even 29 mile lorry tailbacks within a day, hence the fallback we presume of suspending food controls to allow all traffic to be waved through. This is not taking back control, it is abandoning it. City University Professor Tim Lang, a co-author of the report, said one could argue that this is sensible emergency planning, but it is also risky. Consumers would rightly wonder who was guaranteeing the safety and quality of the imported food they were buying. Criminals would be alerted to opportunities for food fraud, and the move would send negative signals to the EU at a delicate time in Brexit negotiations. It could make the UK's third country status more problematic for exports. The report was also produced by University of Sussex Professor Eric Millstone, Tony Lewis of the Chartered Institute of Environmental Health, and Cardiff University Professor Terry Marsden. Responding to the report, a government spokesman said, The government will not suspend food safety controls or weaken our high standards, even in the event of no deal. Our aim is to agree a deal with the EU that keeps trade as frictionless as possible and maintains the current system of checks and controls at the border. Food imports from third countries will be subject to the same robust checks as they are now and our high standards will be upheld. Well, food is a target for the elite and their agenda, as is anything that goes into people's bodies, not least because of the elite's depopulation agenda. And when you're talking about what passes for food with sweet food products and fizzy drinks as well, potential to impact upon the efficiency of the body and the perceptions of people with additives in food like aspartame which is a neurotoxin and excitotoxin meaning it excites brain cells and destroys them over a period of time. GM food is another manipulation of food by the elite and in places like Britain and others they get around the regulations which could be lifted with Brexit which is why people need to keep a watch on food regulations with Brexit because it's only public opposition that has so far stopped GM food being grown and sold widely in Britain. And if it is sold, it has to be labeled, unlike in America and other countries. But what they've done in Britain to get around these regulations is feed animals GM feed, which passes over to humans when they eat the animals or eat food products originating from those animals. I've talked about GM food's effect on DNA in episode 24. If human society was run for the benefit of the people, then food would be just food and care would be taken to ensure nothing was in food or sprayed on food like pesticides that shouldn't be there and if it was found to be there and it has a harmful effect then it would be removed. 
That's how it would work in a world run for humans. But society is agenda-driven, not people-driven, so we have the opposite of that happen in many cases. This is one reason why the plan through the United Nations Agenda 21, as I talk about in episode 18, is to clear people off rural land and into these smart cities. Now we're into the smart technological agenda. And why they're making it harder for farmers to grow food and why community gardens are being targeted because the idea is that giant corporations run everything, including food production. No more organic and naturally grown food, only corporation food. And that's another point. When you see the word natural or the phrase natural ingredients, that doesn't always actually mean organic. Sometimes it does, but other times it's a way of selling the food product to the person making them think it's organic. But natural food could still include additives. For example, if the additives come from a natural origin, although they're manipulated later in some cases. So once again, when you look at this story, connections between different and apparently disparate and separate subject areas of the agenda from a simple news story about Brexit and food regulation because we're looking at one overall global agenda and you'll never, ever understand why things are happening in your life, your town, your city or smart city mega region in the end or human society in general without understanding that society is agenda driven not people driven and what the agenda is and therefore seeing the connections between different subject areas of the agenda and that's what pay-per-view is all about so that's it for this week. That's the news. That's the contesting connections. That's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.